Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Samarin. Today, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Kobaton. Kobaton wants you to test apps like a badass. Start testing apps like a badass with Kobaton, the only flexible cloud-based mobile device lab that lets you test on real devices, so that's Android and iOS, with any kind of app, whether that's web, native, hybrid, whatever configuration you want, whether that's on desk or on site and in the cloud. Uh, all of this is for about half the cost of what AWS and Sauce Labs would cost you, uh, and one-seventh the cost of Perfecto. Uh, right now, Kobaton's giving away a free iPhone 10 and double the trial minutes. That's four hours of testing at absolutely no cost when you start your trial. Uh, so you can try it out today. Use the promo code SWIFTMOFO uh, for a discount. Our thanks to Kobaton for sponsoring this episode. All right. So lately, uh, there's been uh, a handful of package manager proposals, adding some features to the package manager, um, trying to make package development easier in different ways. Um, this kind of first proposal uh, was about workspaces. Yeah. So it's still at the pitch phase, I believe. Um, so it's kind of a concept that's um, been taken by a few folks who want to float some proposal ideas before they actually submit an official proposal. So Ian Keat submitted this on the Swift forums uh, that was sent out on March 8th, uh, Package Manager Workspace. Yeah, and this proposal kind of overlaps with another one that's currently in review, which we'll discuss uh, about local dependencies for the package manager. But it seems like the key feature for workspaces to group together a number of different packages together into this new notion of a workspace, and you'll have a workspace.swift file as well as uh, a generated uh, workspace.resolved. And this allows for a couple different development options, right? Yeah, I can imagine uh, that one way in which you might want to use this, probably very similarly to um, Xcode workspaces, uh, is if you want to have multiple packages within a repository, a single repository. And uh, it usually makes sense to group these together. Uh, so you can think of all sorts of um, SwiftVM frameworks or, or projects out there that already kind of have a family of utilities that they tend to rely on um, as a whole. Uh, Vapor comes to mind where there's um, a fairly large number of kind of sub-projects under the Vapor umbrella. Um, so you could imagine that uh, if it makes sense to kind of develop those um, in, in the same Git repository that you might want to wrap those in some sort of workspace uh, with Swift PM. Yeah, with the idea that these are all, uh, or at least the the packages in the workspace depend on one another, or there's some dependency relationship between them, right? Yeah, I think uh, that's that's one of the features, and yeah, this definitely overlaps with the uh, local dependencies. Uh, proposal as well, uh, package manager local dependencies, SE201, um, in that uh, you can specify uh, paths for these uh, sub 
sub-projects. But ultimately, um, there's a few additional features that workspaces have over local dependencies. Things like, um, well, with local dependencies, you specify a path to your dependency, but the Swift Package Manager won't try to do anything to try to resolve the version of that path, uh, of, of the library at that path that it's trying to use. It won't automatically clone a repository into that directory. It just kind of assumes that whatever the package is already in that directory is kind of ready to go. Uh, whereas these workspaces, these workspace packages can, uh, you can specify a URL where it can clone that repository into a provided path. Um, and then there's also some additional user info payloads that you can specify here, which we'll talk about later. So this would let you, so from within one of the packages in the workspace, you can use these relative paths to refer to the other packages. Is that the idea there? or uh, So from within the workspace file, you can specify relative paths where all of your uh all of the packages that you pull in from remote sources will be checked into. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a good way to um, kind of organize remote sources. Sure. In in a way where uh, you can actually check them in to source control um, and iterate on them from there. Right, uh, right. But yet still have a way to um, continue to update it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm not sure about the the value of this user info uh, payload that you can optionally pass here. Yeah, I'm also pretty fuzzy on it. Um, The pitch says that this user info property would allow associating arbitrary data with a package. Uh, So um, the way it's represented in in this description here in this workspace.swift file, which would live alongside kind of your your top-level project repository directory, um, the package manager wouldn't read any of the contents of this user info property. It would just dump it uh, written exactly as it is as uh, a JSON representation when um, the JSON version of that manifest is requested. Uh, and the Swift package manager has, the command line tool has a way to kind of dump uh, whether it's package files or now these workspace files as a JSON representation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like you can put in whatever you like there, and uh, it'll be read out as uh, as JSON if you ask for a JSON representation of it. Mm-hmm. But this pitch still doesn't seem to propose any concrete use cases for why you would want to do that. Right. Yeah, so it's just a dictionary that you pass in there. Um, yeah, I am not quite sure how I would use this personally. Yeah, personally, it seems like, um, and and by the time we're done talking about these workspaces, we'll have explained what the uh, local dependencies proposal is. But it seems like there is so much overlap with the uh, local dependencies that um, it might actually make sense to take some of the features that are being floated in this workspace document and augment the local dependencies proposal with them. So, for example, uh, local dependencies we mentioned, uh, you... The Swift Package Manager won't do any sort of kind of remote resolution, cloning, anything like that. Well, what if that was a way to seed a local dependency path, right? So Swift Package, Swift Package Manager would check to see if a local dependency also has a remote URL attached to it. And if so, it would basically just be like a custom path for that remote package, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's one way in which this could be used. Uh, the user info, I think, can be dropped um, un- unless there is a concrete use case that we just are unaware of, mm-hmm. which 
means that the local dependencies proposal gets us everything that this would get us without the extra file. Right, right. Yeah, the other thing that's stipulated here is that, uh, or one restriction is that you can't have a package.swift file and a workspace.swift file. Oh, I didn't know that. So you have to choose one or the other. It says they may lift this restriction in the future, but... um, yeah, it looks like you have to choose one. I can definitely see where uh, it can be a large source of complexity if you have both a yeah. package Swift and a workspace Swift. But to me, the natural solution out of that isn't so much, well, let's make them mutually exclusive, but rather, hey, let's combine them. Um, and I can I can see right. a path where, as a library maintainer, you start off with a package Swift file, and then you're like, well, I need to make more frequent changes to this external dependency and I don't own the repository for that, say. So I'm going to take that remote dependency and turn it into a local dependency. Um, Yeah, via a workspace. No, not via a workspace, just with the package Swift file, Uh, right? Where you, you, rather than it, rather than this dependency be cloned into the dot build uh, slash packages, I think, or, or something like that, mm-hmm. directory, uh, as things are done by default with Swift Package Manager, you could specify another path. So you could actually move it outside of this hidden directory. And, um, you know, that seems like a much cleaner path to support uh, as a migration path, even sure. for the Swift Package Manager. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I don't know. I might be missing something obvious here, like, um, but uh, yeah, that's. That's uh, my my rough take on it. Yeah. Uh, and that pretty much wraps this up. Uh, there's still some discussion on the forums about this. Um, and it looks like the package manager local dependencies proposal, which is SE201, uh, which is actually in review, not just in the pitch phase, definitely seems inspired by that original pitch. And maybe this... Um, I'm not completely sure, but it kind of seems like this was maybe branched off of that as something separate that could be implemented on its own. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, we've we've basically explained, I think, most of uh, what the local dependencies proposal suggests, um, where you pass in a path rather than a remote URL. Uh, it's got to be a valid absolute or relative path string. Um, the package at that path must be already a valid Swift package, and the local package will be used as is. So SwiftPM won't try and do any Git operations on it, won't try and resolve any of its versions or anything like that. So uh, it's basically a way to um, kind of plug in your own packages into the package manager if you want to opt out of, of all of that functionality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, reminds me of uh, like local development pods if you're using CocoaPods. Very much so. Yeah, very similar concept. And it's fitting that the review manager is uh, Boris Bungling, who <laughs> right. worked on CocoaPods for a number of years. Best review manager. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> best package. Uh, cool. So there's one other uh, proposal for SPM about uh, extensible build tools. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, it lets 
package authors integrate community-built tools into the build process uh, for Swift PM. So um, the way Ankit's been pitching this on Twitter, for example, is, hey, say you have sorcery as a code gen step for, uh, for your package. Uh, well, Swift PM could run sorcery as part of its build phase, right? Even as um, third-party consumers of your package pull it in. Uh, same thing goes for SwiftLint and Jazzy if you want to generate docs. Um, that uh, you could hook into this extensible build tool system and um, be able to augment the build system with your own passes. And I mean, the possibilities here are endless where um, you uh, you can basically build your own build tool on top of the build tool, right? It sounds uh, very similar to custom build faces in Xcode if you're adding custom scripts and, you know, like what you can do with SwiftLint now, right? Um, Really similar. Yeah, this seems much more powerful actually, sure. because sure. you get a whole lot more context than you do out of Xcode build phases. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that uh, as we explain the proposal. Uh, so this is still in the pitch phase. There's no Swift Evolution proposal number. Um, it was pitched on March 13th, and um, so far there's been a decent amount of uh, discussion on it. Uh, eight replies, so not not all that much. Um, but uh, this is actually a fairly complex proposal. So if we if we try and explain, well, the, the motivation part we've already quickly gone over. Um, uh, so the solutions that, like the, the exact way in which you would do this is you would build, um, you would have a new target type, a target and product called a package extension, much like you have um, kind of static library targets right now with SwiftPM, you have executables, you have uh, dynamic library targets, etc. You would have a package extension, which um, the way it's described here is uh, the target would be non-executable Swift code, so it'd be a, like a library, which would be compiled into a dynamic library. And this target would have access to a new runtime module called package extension. And through that, it would be able to pull in context that was provided by the build tool. Interesting. So uh, similar as well to like if you've um, looked at how Xcode source extensions are built, you have access to like a, a module from within that context. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can query it for for information about uh, the state in which it's running, right? Uh, which I mean, in that case, it is just the the current source file, right? Um, it would be more than that, actually. Um, well, sorry, in the in Xcode extensions, your context is just that right. current source source file, but here um, it's expanded to much more. Yeah, you also get a buffer. Um, in uh, the Xcode extension, so that you can operate on on the strings without having to read it, read yeah. the file from disk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the context is fairly limited. Whereas uh, in this case, with package extension, you'd be able to uh, provide these um, custom build rules. So this is actually a, a protocol that's defined in package extension, and then you would implement this construct method um, on your own rules that you specify here. Uh, so for example, construct takes in a target build context and has a task generation delegate. Um, I really don't expect you to kind of form a mental map from this verbal explanation of what this looks like. I encourage you to go check out the, uh, the Swift forums post. Um, but essentially, you could tap into some bindings over the uh, lower level 
LL build tool that the Swift Package Manager uses to generate build commands. And you could do things like um, you know, create additional commands for LL builds to uh, inject it into the build manifest and therefore execute uh, whenever this happens. So one example is you could um, create a protobuf build rule, which would generate protobuf files and um, include them in the source code that's compiled for your project. And so in this case, it would pull down protobuf, build that, and then run it uh, as part of the build process, generate the files you need for these uh, specific libraries, include those, continue building, and then you have your final Yeah, product. this is, this is still like pretty that. verbose in its current implementation, um, and that would certainly discourage uses of it. Um, I, I guarantee it, but the, the way you would use this as a consumer is, yeah, you'd specify like apple slash swift protobuf from your, um, uh, from your package swift file as a package and then in a target, you'd have custom rules, um, which is this this new uh, property or label in the initializer for it, uh, where you pass in an array. And even this rule is also fairly uh, fairly verbose, where you'd specify all the sources that are used as input for this rule, um, what package extension you would use to generate this, uh, and then additional options uh, such as you know, compiler flags and things like that 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 your extension needs to have in order to operate. Um, so this really does lay the groundwork for a lot of extensibility into the build tool, but uh, in its current state, it's certainly um, pretty verbose and uh, probably not so discoverable. And I'm not sure to what extent this this would catch on um, for just con general consumers of Swift packages uh, if it stays in this state. Mm -hmm. I wish I had uh, a well-formed idea of how to um, minimize or coalesce some of this verbosity, but I don't at the moment. Um, yeah. I just hope that uh, the review process uh, can can identify points uh, to improve along those lines. Sure. Yeah, the protobuf example is pretty interesting, uh, but how would you see a tool like Jazzy, or sorry, not Jazzy, uh, like SwiftLint, fitting into this um, process? Um, well, it would have the advantage of um, not necessarily generating build commands, uh, but rather right. emitting diagnostics. And this is something that um, you'd have access to uh, the diagnostics engine from the task generation delegate. So again, task generation delegate is a protocol that would be available through the package extension module. And then um, this delegate protocol would have a member uh, that returns the diagnostic engine used for emitting diagnostics. Got it, yeah, yeah. So then SwiftLink could hook into that and then use this diagnostics engine to emit warnings, uh, errors, notes, uh, et cetera. And if you wanted to automatically run SwiftLint autocorrect for rules that can be automatically fixed, um, that would come at an earlier stage in the build process. Could that hook in here somehow? Um, you wouldn't be able to leverage the diagnostics engine for that. You would, right. um, 
what would probably happen. Uh, so you, uh, looking at this protobuf build rule, just like you can generate output Swift files to then be compiled, you could probably overwrite, um, override uh, input Swift files um, by writing new files at their output. Um, so you would um, hmm. create a uh, command using the task generation delegate, uh, much like the protobuf tool is doing in this example, where as inputs, it would take in all the files for that module. And as outputs, it would uh, just override those same files that need overriding. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no implementation for this just yet, so it makes this review uh, a little bit more abstract than I'd like because, as we all know as programmers, uh, once you can actually start sinking your teeth into something, um, you know, you can write the most beautiful spec in the world, but until you actually start implementing it, then you start realizing all of this dark matter that you had uh, neglected to notice. Um, and so I would love to kick the tires on a prototype implementation of this to actually get a sense for what the scope would be to integrate tools like SwiftLint or others uh, into a normal build process. Um, but for the time being, all I really have to go on is, is this pitch and uh, these examples. Um, and so far, yeah, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I'm sure this will start to get more fleshed out uh, over the next few weeks as this is, is uh, debated in the forums. But it definitely seems like the right direction in general to go uh, enabling some sort of feature like this. Certainly. And, and as long as uh, it's not too... Uh, constraining in its uh, in its future evolution, um, I think anything would be a great start. And uh, ideally, if if it's designed in such a way that there's space to iterate and to evolve the way that this works or the capabilities it has, has access to, then I think this is an extremely powerful feature. And, and I look forward to even having a first version of it. All right, I think that's all we have for today. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me on Twitter at SimJP. And our thanks again to Kobuton for sponsoring this episode. You can use the uh, promo code SWIFTMOFO for discount. Thanks for listening.